welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rzecca. And in this episode, I'm joined by Jen Pulse, Director of Consulting at ISBA Consulting. Jen, welcome. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you too. Thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure. As you know, this, this podcast is really about providing practical advice to the fulfillment professionals out there and how to manage their back-end fulfillment processes. So I'm really excited for our listeners to just walk away with any key learnings and insights you have to share over your career. Some of the do's and, you know, do this and don't do that uh, mistakes that happen. But before we dive in, I'd love for our listeners just to learn a little bit more about you and uh, for you to introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working in the supply chain and operations space with consumer goods for over 10 years. I did have a finance background. That's what I studied, but I've always been extremely process driven. I had my start in my career in operations working for a consumer electronics distributor that was based in Australia. So managing, you know, the fulfillment mainly to big box retail and worked there for a few years, which was extremely interesting just to understand how that process works. It was really before e-commerce and direct-to-consumer was the primary method or one of the primary methods, and especially in Australia, which is, you know, a few years behind the U.S. From there, I worked as a director of operations for a consumer electronics startup. And what really propelled that company forward with rapid growth is we had a license with Disney that we were awarded. And we had the distribution rights for not only Australia and New Zealand, but also North America, Asia, Pacific, Europe. So we set up distribution centers all over the world, the Netherlands, the U.S., Australia, and Hong Kong, to service those markets directly for the consumers as well as, as the retailers. And that was an amazing learning experience, just seeing a company with such rapid growth through over a short period of time. And from there, I really wanted to start to consult and work with other brands and like bring that expertise and that operational foundation to other founders so that they could, you know, scale up for success. And that's how I was introduced. I was doing that independently for a couple of years. And then that's how I was introduced to ISBA where I'm the director of consulting now. So I oversee a team of consultants and we have an amazing team. People have uh, Fortune 500 expertise as well as, you know, executive level experience. Yeah, that's that's how I got to where I am today. Well, it, uh, it all works for a pretty good conversation today because you've got a, a pretty unique perspective, I think. Probably brings me to just maybe, uh, you know, a good place to start, which is what are the big mistakes that B2C customers are, are, are doing out there? What, what are the mistakes that, are, uh, that they make? Yeah. So one of the main things that I see is around being last minute. So sometimes, especially if you don't have an operational background, you might not understand what goes in the back end to get everything started. So I think it's really important to communicate in terms of like, when are your launches? What's your forecast look like? Are you planning on like overstocking on inventory in, in lead up to the holiday season, because that all has ramifications downstream, whether that's labor planning or it's storage planning. So I think as a fulfillment and like operations person within a business, you need to always be thinking about, okay, like who do I need to speak to to make sure I understand what's coming forward in the business, whether that's the marketing team or the product development team. So I think that's the, one of the main things I see is like being really last minute. So I always say you want to prepare your partner's for success. And by giving them as much information as possible is really how, how you do that. What do you think is the cause of fulfillment 
companies or shippers, why are they so last minute? You know, a lot of times I hear that advice a lot, which is so last minute, but what's the cause of it and how do people get around that? I mean, I think it really comes down to communication and just when people are informed of things like, you know, the product development team might not realize how important it is to let the fulfillment team know that there's a new SKU coming out um, or new products coming out. So I think just having your whole organization understand, you know, what does the big picture look like? How do we get our products to our customer? And also there's some things you just can't help, like with all of the delays from the manufacturing side, from the shipping side, you know, sometimes product is just delayed. So by the time it does get to the fulfillment center, the customers needed it 10 days ago or a month ago. So I think that it was okay to be last minute before, but now with all of the planning that's required that goes into it with all the changes that have happened over the last few years, I think that there's just a lot more communication that needs to go. When you think of like the really good companies that communicate well and effectively, what type of cadence do, do you find those companies having? Is it, you know, multiple times a day? Is it once a day, weekly? I think that people would, you know, you're communicating constantly in real time as things are developing. But I think having like a weekly touch point, both internally and then externally with your stakeholders is really important just so that you can kind of level set, come together and just say, you know, like these are all of our promotions that are coming up. These are all of the shipments that we have coming in. This is what our expected volume is to be outbound, although probably you want to send that a, a bit further in advance. And, you know, I've seen if you're launching a new fulfillment center, I've seen like a daily touch point works well just because there is so much happening. So it varies depending on how much is happening within your organization, the level of communication that, that's required. You know, a lot of companies communicate often, probably too much, just not really effectively. And, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are when you partner with like a 3PL or you outsource. I know you've, you know, I've read and, and have heard you mentioned that the importance on brand, brand being very transport, transparent rather is really important to you. Can you speak about what you mean by that? Is that part of that communication, just making sure communication is transparent and presented in a real effective way? Yeah, I think transparency can really go both ways by giving your like the you know your 3PL or your outsourced fulfillment all the information that they require. It gives them the opportunity to be prepared. So whether that's you have a big spike in volume coming up. So what does that mean from, do they need to hire more so that they can meet the SLAs and KPIs that you've set out in the contracts? So I think that that's something that is really important as well as from an inbound shipping perspective, if they have an understanding of what the goods flow looks like, they can plan, you know, labor and storage accordingly. So I think overall it helps everyone. It doesn't ever help anyone to be surprised by anything that's coming down the line. And then you can have an open conversation if there are problems that do come up, you know, like what's the resolution to that? What corrective action could you, can you put in place? Do you find like most of that communication sits in these MBRs and QBRs or are you doing it or your clients that you're supporting? Are they just finding time and, and making time in their regularly weekly schedules to address a lot of those issues? I would say it's definitely more so like on a, a weekly basis. I think the like QBRs might be for broader picture. Where is the business going? Like what's the vision? But I think a weekly cadence is really helpful for 
the regular things and then maybe like a monthly rolling forecast on what you're thinking about from an outbound orders perspective or inbound shipment. I don't think updating that weekly is sometimes that's, you know, there's too much effort that's put into it, but the most successful relationships I've seen at least have like a touch point once a week with their outsource partners. One area I really wanted to dig into with you and was excited to talk about, you know, a lot of our customers ourselves, even at Amware, they're, they're very fast. They're not Shark Tank. They're very, they've broken through that, but they've gained some traction in the market. They're very growth oriented, a lot of fast paced, just growth is happening and they don't know how to always keep up with uh, the demand. And you've been part of some pretty amazing uh, growth brands yourself. So how do these clients or customers of yours keep up? What has been working well for them and where do they fall down and, and just not get it right? I think a lot of our yeah listeners out there, that's probably one of the most pressing things that they want to have a sense of how they keep up with you know that, that type of growth so they don't miss it. One of the things that we always recommend at ISBA to our clients is to put like a sales and operations planning procedure in place like really early on. So this is you have the conversations for all your departments from like, what are you ordering and like, what does your demand look like? So that you can revisit it month over month and just look at, are there any biases in the demand and just being forward looking as well as historical. So you have the data to understand if there is a big spike, like we plan, at least plan for it and have ordered our products accordingly. I think where brands kind of fall down is when they just kind of go off of their gut feel without the historical data. Like you think something is going to do well, but usually you just need to go off, you know, other products that are in the market that are similar. So you can see, you know, how they're trending and then plan accordingly and have staggered growth as well. So like be okay with saying no to certain opportunities because you don't have the inventory available they'll be coming up again in the future. And I think overcomplicating your supply chain too early on can be a situation where brands can fail. So if you have too many SKUs or diversify too early on, I think if you have your core product, there's this like, eight, you know, the 80-20 principle that everyone talks about. It's like 80% of your business comes from 20% of your sales. So I think really focusing on what your core business is, at least initially, before starting to diversify and make your supply chain too complex and adding too much customization to it is really important or else it just kind of creates a bit of a headache for everybody. Yeah, I I have the same type of experiences. And I think that even holds true today. Like even a company that's probably started up three, five years ago, oftentimes still has that same 80, 20% SKU base. They've grown. They've just maybe grown in the wrong area, but it still holds true. 80% of their, their core business is still in that most likely original SKU, you know, assortment, even though they grew out of and into some other SKUs, but the core has kind of remained the core, but patience patience to grow uh, and not take it all on too fast. Yeah. Shifting gears for a second on automation, you know, it's a buzzword. A lot of people love throwing it out, but what's your, you know, what's your take on when to use it and when not to use it is, you, you know, is there a certain time in which you think deploying capital is smart? Is it a certain period of time for payback that you find customers having an appetite for and, and fulfillment, or is it truly just case by case? I think it's dependent on the situation, but I also think that the move to automation has really changed. I think before it was, at least in fulfillment, 
actually, I guess across the board before it was kind of like, you know, you want more efficiency, you want to save costs and like over what time frame is the payback for that capital expenditure. But now with like all the labor constraints, it's getting to the point where if companies and aren't automating, you won't be able to keep up with demand going forward. So I think especially on the fulfillment side of things, you know, there's not enough labor to even keep up with demand in peak times. So I think it's really interesting to look at automation and robotics to augment staff, especially with the peaks and troughs uh, like throughout the year during periods over the holidays. So I would say as long as the payback's within a reasonable time frame, the key thing is that with all of the labor shortages now, it's almost you have to move in that path forward. So it's more of a case of the sooner you do it, the probably better off you, you are. Yeah. Is there any special, or not special, but is there any automation that's out there that you're looking at that grabs your interest, whether it's to solve throughput? I did see these robots. I can't remember the name of them, but it was really interesting because they automated the cart portion of the fulfillment operation. So they basically brought the products from where the packing station was and then to the aisle. So it reduced the time for people that actually needed to walk around the warehouse, which I thought was really interesting. One of the stats that they said was that people working within the warehouse facility can walk like up to 10 miles a day. And just the amount of efficiency that you have as you go throughout the day because people are getting tired drops significantly. So if you can kind of reduce the amount of like busy time that people are moving back and forth. I thought that uh, that was a really good use of like automation and like marrying up people and, and automation. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a meeting tomorrow with one of those similar robotic companies that you've just mentioned. And when I think about it, I think about in the four walls, anything that can address time, distance and travel and travel being what you're just speaking about of the time that associates travel supersedes their actual picking or productive time, especially as these fulfillment centers or shippers grow and they grow into to bigger facilities and that's more travel time, you know, in these fulfillment environments. So you can pick as fast as you can pick, but it still needs to get from here to there to the packout stations. And so we're looking at something similar just to address the, that, that travel piece. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting as well because it kept people kind of in zones. So then just in terms of the time to actually get people up to speed from like a technical perspective, they don't have to learn as many SKUs. They will be like less, less likely in as many locations. So I thought, I thought it was an interesting, interesting. And it keeps the associates home. It keeps them home versus, yeah, meandering somewhere and the next bot's waiting for them. Yeah. Yeah, we should connect on that uh, later. I think that would be uh, <laughs> good. New Jersey comes to mind. So I, I know you're a big relationship person and emphasize rapport with, with service providers, but I'm just curious, when have you had a bad relationship and what happened and, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so I think um, no matter what, at some point in your career, you're going to have bad relationships with various service providers. And I think that it always comes back to this thing about like transparency and communication. And I had one experience where we had the fulfillment center I was working with. And for whatever reason, we just couldn't get the products out. We were looking at the on-time shipping and like reviewing it ourselves every day. And it's like, 
50% or 30% of the orders are getting out on time. You're like, what, like, what is happening here? And we realized that one of the small parcel providers, this was during peak period, they had actually put a limitation on the facility. So they can only ship out so many orders per day, but it took weeks to get to this point of understanding why this was happening. This is also during COVID. So you couldn't be on, you know, you can go on site to the facilities at the end of it, it turned out that they weren't the right provider for the client that I was working with. But also, we could have found a solution if we you know, had that transparency up front. We ended up just using doing drop trailers and delivering the product directly to the, the sortation facilities. But I think that the key thing is like there's problems that happen in operations and fulfillment, whether it's I always come back to, you know, like labor shortage or maybe there's space constraints, whatever it is, you know, things come up. And I think that brands can be understanding if they're explained why that's happening and they can be, then you can be proactive together in finding a solution. So anytime I've had a bad relationship, it's more, more so about the other party just trying to keep their cards to themselves for whatever reason and trying to find the solution on, on their own. You know, sh- shifting gears for a second, I-, I know you began early in your career in Australia, in Singapore, and spent time overseas. How did that shape you, and how do you reference that still today when dealing with customers and, and solving anything? Did that shape you in any significant way? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first 10 years of my career, most of you know, were overseas. Even though I'm American, I kind of went to university in Singapore and then started working in Australia. So just having a different perspective of the problems that occur in, you know, that part of the world and like seeing um, firsthand, but also realizing that kind of the problems everywhere can be very similar. But I think it just makes you a little bit more empathetic. And I think working overseas or just having any type of relationships, whether it's personal or work related overseas is a really beneficial thing. You know, for listeners, a lot of listeners that join the podcast are, you know, obviously interested in their own career progression and they're trying to seek additional knowledge and insights to make a difference. And some of them think about taking a move overseas uh, for, for their own development. Are there any drawbacks of uh, working overseas or call outs that you would, uh, you know, reference to anybody? I don't know if there's drawbacks. I think depending on where you are in your career, there's a lot of things to take in from like a logistics point of view. If you're moving with your family, you know, finding the right schools for them and finding the right place to live. So I think that depending on where you are in your career, sometimes it's easier to kind of pick up and move across the world than it is at other times. But I think generally it's always worth it. And you can always come back, you know, so even if it's just for a couple of years, you can always come back home. Yeah. Uh, I, I started my career in um, South Korea, actually, is where I began. Yeah. And, and I think about it. I tell people all the time. It's just getting to work with people that don't always assimilate to yourself or it's a big part of working in a fulfillment society for that matter. But just getting to work with people from different perspectives. But I uh, it probably a week doesn't go by where I don't think back on it and, uh, you know, make it relevant somewhere in my life even today. What, um, you know, what challenges are you being faced with right now? Well, you work in the same, same space, so I'm sure you're well aware, but I mean, I think that the key things are, it's not as easy to plan for things as it once was, whether it's delays in shipping or a component shortage or just like very high shipping rates. It seems like there's always something happening and you, you can't have a crystal ball and see around the corner. 
you just have to come up with contingency plans on as you're moving because you can't foresee everything. I think one of the main things that we're seeing, and it seems like it's slowly getting resolved, were the closures of the manufacturing sites in China, most recently due to COVID. And so that's kind of been the main thing that's been affecting a lot of the clients that I work with. And things are starting to open up now, which is good, but just getting the, you know, inventory in through customs and making sure that they're manufacturing on time. Luckily, it looks like it hasn't had a too big of an impact, but it's caused a few sleepless nights over the last month or so, for sure. So in addition to, you know, not moving to Singapore or uh, Australia for personal growth and development, you know, how do you source your own development for listeners that are wanting to, to just learn how to stay up to date and current with things? Where do you, you know, where do you go to, to learn yourself to just uh, to be educated? One of my favorite medias is like listening to podcasts. I just think there's so much information out there and you can listen to it while you're driving or while you're cleaning or walking your dogs, whatever, whatever it is. So I think there's just such a wide breadth of information from podcasts. So that's by far my favorite place to listen to. And that there's supply chain related podcasts, but also just personal development, whether it's about meditation or just habits, things like that. And then in terms of online publications, I like, you know, Supply Chain Brain. I'm a big fan of. I think LinkedIn has a lot of really good resources as well in terms of their e-learning. And I think probably most importantly is like being open to networking and just hearing people's problems firsthand and going to the fulfillment centers and your manufacturing sites directly. I think actually seeing things in person really opens your eyes to some of the troubles that people are facing on the ground. I think being behind a computer screen all day and it's not as clear always. Speaking to real people. Yeah. And, and listening to podcasts like Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C Fulfillment podcast um, as a plug shamelessly. So what's happened over the last two to three years that's just reshaped, you know, the industry. I mean, we're in the middle of it, but what do you think is the most profound difference that's changed for, you know, a shipper, a B2C shipper that's starting up today that they have to deal with that maybe they didn't have to deal with two to three years ago? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I remember, I think a few years ago, people were, there was a lot of like just-in-time fulfillment, right? So you could just find products or whatever you were looking for on say Alibaba or something like that. And the source was very clear. And with all of the component shortages and you know various issues that shippers are facing now, it's just not as straightforward. So I think there's just a lot more planning and thought that goes into things now. And you can't just assume that something's going to be available. And I think it's changing the way consumers are buying and it's changing the way that businesses have to supply their consumers as well. And you know, you can see like the most recent thing is shortage on baby formula. Like every, you know, every day there's something different that's causing these disruptions. And I think it's just the new normal. And I don't think it will necessarily ever go back to the way it once was. And I think hopefully it leads to more conscious consumers as well. And, you know, that people are manufacturing more consciously and maybe it will lead to less waste too in the future. I think so too. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. 
In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. I think three or four years ago, peak probably was a very defined period, that traditional Thanksgiving, Christmas, end of the year. But it, it's not so much that anymore for a lot of these B2C shippers that are starting. They have, you know, peak may sit within a given week on a given day, you know, based on their, their continuity or, or their growth. But uh, it's it's uh, peak, I think, has kind of reshaped, which leads to all the things you talked about on the, the need to up the communication, the transparency, the collaboration and partnerships. That used to be you would work all year getting ready for peak, but peak is peak is now. And that's that's a big difference. The, the time to plan has been consolidated and those things have to now take place in real time. There's no forgiveness for it. That's a big thing that I've noticed myself. So Jen, what, uh, you know, where can people go to find more about you online with ISBA and who, who may want to just get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So isba.co, so I-Z-B-A dot C-O is the best place to find everything that we do. It has a list of all of our different services, some of the clients that we work with and some really, really great case studies. Another product that we work with, which is a sister company to ISBA is Capable. So it's an automated software for fulfillment centers and uh, SLA tracking. So that's C-A-P-A-B-L.co, Capable.co. And then I'm Jennifer Polchaso, just on LinkedIn. You can find me. <laughs> awesome. Jen, thank you sincerely for taking some time out in the busy schedule. I know it's peak for you to speak with me today. Thanks for uh, everybody for joining in. This concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment. Be sure to check us out again soon. Stay safe, everyone. Mm-hmm.